It's great to be with all of you. I see there's people from the Netherlands and Culver City, California, Midcoast, Maine, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Montreal, the Turtle Island, Canada. Yes, and Dallas, Chicago, Amster, Mass, Vancouver, Des Moines, Austin, New Orleans, San Francisco, Halifax, Ohio, Bellingham, Washington. So all over. Yeah, Chicago again, and that's good, yeah. So thanks for joining me on this um, Lincoln, Nebraska. Or California. So I really welcome all of you for joining me uh, for Soulful SOAS Exploration. And um, I want to kind of set the tone for where we're going and what I'm thinking about. So, uh, what I discovered in exploring my own psoas is a deep connection to myself. And it was a, a open-ended exploration. I, I was curious. I wasn't looking so much to solve what I saw as my physical aches and pains. I didn't really make the connection um, I hadn't had body work and things like that when I started this. It was 45 years ago and um, I was a conceptual artist at the Boston Museum School of Fine Arts. And, and I'm not trained as an artist. I was actually a kind of fluke. Um, I was brought in to mess things up and I was young. And so I figured I could do that. Uh, I could mess things up in an all male sculpture department that looked at form and shape as solid. And, and I had had a show and the Dean had seen it and he said, would you come work here? And I said, sure, why not? That sounds exciting. Um, so not only was I a woman in an all male department, I was not an artist. And um, so you can imagine, you know, like I hadn't gone to art school, I hadn't, you know, I had not shown before. Um, so it was very exciting time for me. But what I discovered in, in, my, in that phase of my life was that movement changed something about my perception, the way I conceived, the way I thought, the way I understood ideas or felt inspired. And so I was looking for something and I found Bob Cooley who at that time had a studio in Boston. He still has a studio in Boston and Santa Barbara. But at that moment in time, he was exploring the psoas and he was in an inquiry with a group of people. And I heard about him and I went to check it out and I thought it was really interesting. Um, they were spending a lot of time on the floor in constructive rest and following their kinesthetic sensory system. So it was my introduction into my sensory system as a language of knowing, as a remembering. And so as 
uh, in the kinesthetic sensory system is right behind what we think of as the center of movement or the impulse of the gut brain or the uh, hara or tandien, the Buddha belly, where all lines and planes of gravity meet. So this was a, uh, a way of starting to access a knowing that's deeply connected to my being here and is directly behind the, the navel. So, um, so soulful stories were my own first in terms of me accessing a kind of curiosity. And so one of the things that has to shift is the top-down perspective. I'm no longer telling myself what I need to do. I'm listening deeply and, and being informed from the inside out. And that is shaping the way I think and, and shaping uh, what I do and how I do it. So it was a shift in paradigm. And that became part of my, um, my pursuit or my curiosity, my, my profession, uh, to be an educator on how to do this. And it's not an easy thing to explain to someone else um, because you have to go there. It's not a cognitive experience. So as my work has developed over the years, um, not being in the body work world, not being trained as a therapist, not being trained as a massage therapist. I have interacted with all these people, but that's not actually what I'm doing. And so whether I'm teaching yoga teachers or Pilates instructors or uh, massage therapists in, in massage schools or what I'm actually interested in is the human being themselves. What is going on with you? So if you are a therapist or um, a professional in, in the somatic world or in the movement world, then my perspective is to, to really deeply understand so as you have to know your own. And that to support someone else, you have to know your own. And you have to be listening to the depths of its conversation. So what is psoas? Psoas is core tissue. It's part of your neuro core in the newer language of body going out of the mechanistic model. We're looking at the, the center of your being is an axis. That's an embryological concept that all cells organize in our system around a central axis a north and south pole. And, and out of that comes all movement, all form, all shape, all everything and that we are. And so we have to change the paradigm to understand so as we can't look at it mechanistically, we can't look at it as this muscle that, that is a structural muscle as if you're a house or a building. Um, we have to look at a living process. I am a living process. And so that changes how we understand babies, how we understand mothers and babies, how we understand uh, how we come here to earth. 
how we land here on earth and, and what that means, what that journey is about, but more importantly, what that process is to show up here and, and what it means to really come into my own uh, being, my own uh, self-actualization or autonomy or sovereignty or uh, capacity. It's not that I'm individuated, it's that I'm actually part of a larger field, but I get to fully blossom. So I often refer to this process as a gardener because I am and I'm a weaver, I was. Um, and so I'm really looking at it as a, uh, an expression of being part of a larger field of information, a matrix, a web of life. And in that, I, I, am, I am not a cog in the wheel. I am literally held uh, in that field so that I can show up here. And, and so that takes us into soulfulness because in the mechanical model, there is no soul. There is no center. All tissue moves, flexes or extends, but there's no, there's no soul. If you ask uh, someone who is in the mechanical, you know, ask your doctor where your soul is, you know, your medical doctor, you know, see what, see what they have to say. Um, so we have to change the paradigm. We have to understand that the Western paradigm doesn't fit. So psoas doesn't fit in all the ways that anatomy thinks of psoas. And the only way I got to where I, I found this out wasn't because I read somebody's book, I experienced it within me. And I, I kept feeling um, I was being informed by the inside out. Now we talk about fluid tissue, we talk about um, the neuro core through Sue Hitzman's work, Melt Method. She and I have worked with the idea of coherency because in the in this re-envisioning and understanding the human organism as process, we see that the, the psoas is embedded deeply within the core as a messenger, uh, a tuning fork, you could say, that the vibrational field of what is going on within the very core of your being. So if I'm holding space for someone else, when people come to see me uh, privately, which is basically only happens in New York City and once in a while, a few other places, but um, what I'm doing is I'm not trying to fix them. I, you know, I can't solve their problems. I'm not looking to solve their problems, but I can listen deeply through my own core. Um, and I start to feel the field and I start to pick up information. I don't know what the story or narrative is. I'm simply picking up the information. And I try to reflect that back and then they often tell me the story. So I wanna share some of the stories. Most of them you'll find in Stalking Wild Soas, Embodying Your Core Intelligence. Um, those are a few of them, the ones that I tell over and over again. Uh, there's also Soulful Soas in which I, I go into it more in terms of how I actually worked with the people or what I chose to do and that's on my um, online bookstore. 
it's just a PDF of, uh, I forget how many stories, but they go in a little deeper. I wrote, a, I wrote an article for Positive Health, which is on my article page, um, about kind of demystifying the mystery of the psoas. In other words, how somebody comes in with certain uh, reasons for being there and then what actually unfolds. And I tell the story in a fairly developed and long uh, way that you can find there. So there are some of these stories out there already but this is the first time I'm actually teaching a class around it. And of course it's due to COVID and my opportunity to do these small, short uh, classes together. So I wanna start with a, a piece from Stalking Wild. And it's the shift in our consciousness around thinking of ourselves, the construct of body as object to changing the understanding from an embryological understanding that the embryo is within us, it never goes away. The embryo is still you. You are still the embryo. You are still unfolding. And one of the people who speaks to this so endearingly is the embryologist, medical doctor, uh, professor, and a person who's taught uh, human anatomy for uh, 10 years to Olympic athletes, um, Dutch embryologist, um, Vanderbilt. So when we start to understand the uh, embryological story, We, he urges us to understand that you are not a product of cell division. You are an organism. You are not becoming human. You are a human becoming. This is our biological intelligence. It is a continuous process of emerging and thriving. Those are my words. So applying this embryotic, embryotic paradigm to our understanding of core, so as becomes soulful and personal as well as cosmic and elemental. Gone is a fix me impulse and in its place sprouts the mystery and wonder of life that generates vital questions reshaping a living inquiry. What is life communicating? What is the meaning of embodied core intelligence? How does our own life support vital relationships? I'll say those questions again, because I think those can be how you begin to shape your story today. What is life communicating? How do I receive that in my own tissue? What is the story that life is communicating? What is the meaning of embodied core intelligence? What does it mean to listen deeply into my own system? How does our own life support vital relationships? What I would call kinship now, the kinship with all life, the recognition that I am part of a much larger field a, a luminosity and a capacity to be life itself 
showing up. So with that said, some of the stories that I just want to share is um, one of them is what started Stalking Wild Sows Embodying Your Core Intelligence. Why I decided I need to record some of these stories. I need to start writing these stories down. Because for a long time, I didn't, I, I was just, you know, amazed by them. You know, I talk about the man in San Francisco. He was one of the first people. Um, I realized this, this is not, this, I mean, this was years ago. This was, I don't know, 35, 38 years ago. And, and I went to a pain clinic. I was invited to a pain clinic to do a lecture and, and very few people showed up. So we just had a handful of people. So I got a chance to work with each of them. I said, well, why don't we spend our time actually getting on the floor and doing some movement rather than me lecturing. And so we got on the floor and I, I, I started supporting um, this gentleman's legs. And, and I, was, I was just holding, like when I work with someone, I'm not trying to fix them or do something with their soas. I'm like holding the falling response because soas is all about falling. It's, and literally, you know, the, the origin stories of indigenous cultures is, is about, you know, uh, sky woman falling to the earth, to Turtle Island. Like there's this, you know, we fall into, we, we spiral down through our mother's womb. We show up here. And, and in his particular story, you know, I got to witness his system having these responses. I, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a therapist. We didn't even talk about trauma in those days. I mean, it was, you know, in those days it was, um, people came home from war shell-shocked, but people weren't talking about trauma in, in that way. But all of a sudden I recognized in him, something was happening and I just slowed way down. And I just held space for this man to start to tune into his own system and tell his own story. The, the, the ability to do that shifted my awareness because his story was so much more profound than a physical issue. And it had to do with trust and his father. And I do tell the story in Stalking Wild Sows. But, but that shifted my awareness to realizing I don't have the capacity to uh, even teach someone how to you know, fix their psoas. I can tell you about what it is to have a healthy psoas because I've evolved that in myself. But in those days, I was still you know, exploring my own tissue. I was in a process of, of figuring it out myself. And yet I was so deeply touched by his, his um, vulnerability to actually reveal, it was the first person I met and it was a man who had an eating disorder and, and he was incredibly thin. But at that time we didn't talk about eating disorders. So it was like, I was witnessing something but I had no label. I had, and neither did the clinic in reality. It was a pain, it was a pelvic pain clinic. Um, and he, Taught, he spoke about what his father did to him uh, to force him to eat. So we're assuming, you know, that was also a, a, his way of feeling some power in himself and up against that. And, and, and only 
when he could stay present to the moment we were in, was he able to begin to soften, to feel the ground, to what I call land and locate. And then in that moment, his psoas let down. And when he stood up, he went, oh my God, you know, this is a very different place of being in myself. So it taught me something very profound. And after that, I started listening a lot more than doing. Um, I was never a doer in the first place because I'm not a therapist. So I'm not, I don't really want to be that involved with other people's bodies. I just, <laughs> I just really loved the psoas at that time and recognized that it had this power to uh, enhance our creativity and mine to be able to land and locate allowed me to show up in a different way in myself and to, to have the courage to you know, stand in the face of all these uh, very well-trained um, artists and, you know, and tell them things. Um, so you know, the confrontation was more my standing, my ground of just like, I don't know, but how about we do this? How about we play? Um, isn't that what creativity is all about? Where does creativity come from? Those were the kind of questions I was curious about. So uh, when Kristen uh, showed up, Christ Christopher showed up in my, my New York studio, uh, he was a man who, and I again tell this story, he, he just came there and I don't know why, but I think he was stuck in his lack of creativity. And, and he was feeling stifled. He kind of felt like his life was kind of deadened. I don't know how he found out about me. I don't remember, you know, if he had symptoms of some kind, but he was there to explore something. And one of the reasons I work in New York is because people are very creative. And especially in those days, people hadn't moved out of the city. There was a lot of artists. There were a lot of people who were really exploring life and human potential in all these very creative ways. So they weren't necessarily trying to fix themselves. They were actually accessing something. So the curiosity was very rich and alive. And so we explored, I always like to kind of just support the legs as a kind of reading. So I've become a, like a palm reader. I can read the psoas and the psoas talks to me. And, and, um, and, and I, I hear it, I can, I can sense into it, not by doing something, but by being present to it, by being present to my own core. So I learned a lot that without my being in my bones, without my sitting in my field, being at the, at, at, sitting on the ground in constructive rest and supporting someone's legs is not only exhausting, but overwhelming. You're getting a lot of hit of energy of somebody else. So the only way you can be present to that is to, to have a real embodiment in yourself, to really be present in yourself, to not have the urge to fix someone else. And so I had to, I had to keep playing with that um, through my own system. So then I could just show up and I had no, I had no impulse to fix someone. I can't tell you how powerful that is. I mean, really, truly, I have no impulse to fix someone. I really don't care that way. I'm not that invested. I just show up. And that has made my work valuable. So how to teach that to somebody else? 
I say to therapists and, and body workers, you have to look at why you became that because almost everybody becomes it because it helped them. So now they're gonna help somebody else. They're gonna pass it along. And the reality is that um, in my, my estimation, it's a transmission and the transmission has to be in you. So when people come and do my advanced work, like a week long or it used to be 10 days long of going through a process, I'm not interested in the integration yet of what you're doing. I'm interested in how, I'm, how landed and located and, and really truly present you are to your own system. And I'll tell you why, because one of the things the SOAS is all about is your nervous system. That's what it's communicating. It's communicating the parasympathetic, it's communicating the symp sympathetic responses in particular through the uh, primal or reptilian brain, that which you cannot control. And now we have the polyvagal system also, but we're very intellectual about the polyvagal system in our desire to control. So to me, I keep seeing it as a top-down. We're always controlling the organism. We actually don't know that the wisdom within us is within our own tissue. It's not how your mind receives it. More information comes from your tissue to your brain than the other way. So again, it's a rooted place. It's not a top-down model, which is Western culture, which is Western education. So if you've been educated in the Western culture and the further you've gone in that, the more conditioned you are to think of control as your mechanism for understanding. But when you begin to stop doing that and you begin to really be uh, curious and open and listening, then you're receiving different information than the Western culture can offer you. So the paradigm changes. And what I love about embryology is it was one of the places I could find a scientific paradigm that matched what a healthy psoas is. So the psoas is messaging, do you show up here in time and space? And if not, what interrupted your journey to land here on earth? So it's not about learning something, it's about reparative work, restorative work, because the organism is whole, as Yap said. You know, there's, there's, um, you, you are, you know, you, you aren't, you don't utilize cells to become, I mean, you do use, you utilize cells to become, you're not made up of cells. So this kind of idea of being, you're utilizing cells means that in both embryology and indigenous wisdom, we come to the earth whole, our spirit, our soul is whole. And what the culture and family is supposed to do is support that wholeness so you can fully blossom here. The Western culture believes that you are fragmented, that you are not whole, that you grow and you, and you are put together in pieces and that brings you into wholeness. It's an upside down paradigm. It's a fragmented paradigm in which body is object 
and somebody has to help you put all the pieces together, like um, downloading, you know, on your computer. And so you're a blank slate. But that is to me a false dogma. And so when I can decolonize my brain, um, I can be open. But the way I decolonize my brain is not by reading more of the same, it's by going into the tissue. It's by going into my sensory system. It's by actually allowing my sensory system be, be, to become the dominant um, capacity to organize me in space and time. So then I can start to actually show up as who I am. So for Christopher, I'm supporting his legs. I'm using a tiny little movement I explain in uh, both Stalking Wild. There's also an article in uh, Birthing Fear in Midwifery Today where I talk to midwives about this idea of supporting women's legs. I'm not really moving them very much. We're playing with a little falling response because psoas is all about falling. It's falling through space, it's falling into earth, it's all, it's all about uh, safety and, and feeling uh, a return to their own system so it can recapitulate. Um, so it's always about this kind of falling. And so I play with the falling response by catching. So I'm basically catching the falling response. And I bring it back to neutral and I catch it again. So the person is landing, is learning to land in my hand. And so I have to be fully in me for them to land because one psoas knows another psoas. Psoas is not only personal, it's global. And so when you could say all the kind words you want to your client or your uh, patient, um, and hopefully they are um, or not, but, um, but it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. The words mean nothing to psoas. Psoas doesn't listen to words. It's about sensation. So, so in that, the landing is just where you land. So I've learned the skill of showing up and, and catching. And as I have you know, gotten better at it, I was doing that with Christopher and all of a sudden I had this impression of his psoas was dead. I've never had that impression. I've had quiet psoas, I've had hiding psoas, I've had uh, terrified psoas, I've had, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm putting words to the sensation I'm picking up. These are how I would describe them. Um, numb, you know, frozen, things like that. But this felt dead. And I remember opening my eyes thinking, oh my God, did, did this person have a heart? I mean, is he alive? Like, because I was kind of, my eyes were open, but they were soft. I was just being present. I wasn't staring at him, but I did stare at him and he wasn't, he was alive. So I was like, wow, what did I just experience? So, you know, we finished what we were playing with. He got up, he walked around, he got a drink of water. And I asked him, I said, so did it, something in your life scare you to death? I just was curious, like, you know, and he said, um, well, actually I died at birth. And I went, oh, 
that's who your cell is. Okay, so there it is. And uh, I told him what I experienced and he said, oh, that's really interesting. I said, yeah, I've never experienced that before. And I said, uh, and he said, well, actually I died more than once. They resuscitated me several times. So, you know, that was his story. But what was interesting is then he, he went on to tell me in New York City, one of the things he loved to do, he was a grad student at the time. And he said, I love to sit in Central Park. And he said, recently, the past few months, I've been watching this group of people, because a lot of people go there and exercise and you know do all kinds of things. The, the circus group come there to practice and they do tightrope walking. And I've become so excited about it. I, I, I wanted to like learn how to do that. And I've talked to them a little bit and they showed me some things and I've been really enjoying it. And I said, are you like, do you get the connection? Like you were alive and then you were dead. You were alive and then you were dead. You were walking a tightrope between life and death, life and death. He goes, oh, wow. And I said, look, and that's like how you showed up is playing with that. Am I alive? Am I not alive? Am I alive? Am I not alive? And um, and I, I, what I loved about him was that he came back to see me the next year and he told me the story of what happened to him after we worked together. He said, it changed my entire life. He said, I'm so much happier. I'm really pursuing the things that I enjoy doing. I recognize I am, I am fully here. And um, so I've watched that birth death conversation happen in many people. People who were stuck in their life. Um, a woman in Italy uh, also asked me to do a, a, a different thing. It was an ignition piece that I sometimes do that has to do with the coiling, the, the falling into oneself, this, what we call the fetal curl. And we did that and in it, she, I, I, her birth story showed up. And I'm not a rebirther. I'm not interested in rebirthing. I'm not interested in going back in time. I'm simply showing up here, but what's showing up in the tissue here is a story. And what's showing up in the sew is this story. And this woman was really bent over and she was Italian and I just figured she was a cyclist and I asked her and she said, no, she said, I'm not a cyclist. And I was like, wow, you're awfully young to be that, you know, like, cause cyclists, I could see that they'd have a tight dry psoas from curling over if they're racing and stuff, which is how Italians cycle versus how you cycle in the Netherlands, um, there's a difference. So I was thinking it was ergonomics. But anyways, after this, she rested for a while and she walked out of the space and she's standing fully upright and she's totally grounded and she looks almost like I almost don't recognize her. And she goes, I died at, I died at birth. And I was like, oh. And she goes, I almost died. And she said, and all my life I realized I have not been able to move forward from that moment. I just keep like hesitating the coming through into life fully. And she said, but now I actually realize I, I know what I need. I know what I want. I know where I'm kind of holding myself. I'm really excited. You know, so I could see the invigoration in her system. We weren't solving the problem. We were telling the story. 
So uh, a couple other ones I want to tell before we start into our own process is uh, a man, I'm going to call him Jason, who came to see me and came to spend a week with me. And I tell his story in Stalking Wild. Um, what a delightful man he was. He's a beautiful, beautiful man. But his own sense of self-esteem was very different. And he had a pretty rough dad. His dad was very powerful. He was very financially wealthy. And he had ideas of who his son should be and what his son should be. And he always felt under the thumb of his father. And he, uh, he was trying to solve his masculine image of who he was and feeling like it had something to do with his core, but he wasn't sure what. And he decided he came to work with me and he came to a retreat. And, and, you know, I could see his hesitation. I could see what was, you know, but I didn't know what his story was. But I, I did work with him and I real, and he, as he became more in his own sense, he left the retreat saying, I have such a deeper sense of myself. I feel like I can now kind of hold my own, even in the sphere of my family power. Um, it'll be interesting to see how I, how that shows up, what I do with that. He was, you know, he was now landed and located in himself and he felt more uh, safe in his own ability to show up for himself. And so a few, it was quite a few months, maybe six months later, I got an email from him that said, I, I really need to, I really want to talk to you. And I said, sure. And so we, we connected and he told me the story. He said, you know, I went home and he said, and I don't know, he said, all of a sudden I was looking through some things and a photo showed up. And the photo was of this boy and on his father's shoulders. And I realized it was me. Now this man was gorgeous. And he said, and he had these huge ears. And he said, they were, they were just big. And all of a sudden I started remembering myself. And I remembered, I used to be able to hear like, you know, 360 degrees. I could hear all around me. I could hear incredible, life was so full, so big, so beautiful. And I had all this awareness of the back of me and the sides and the front and the top and the under. And it was just like, wow, oh, the world is, you know, really full and global and round. And, and he said, and I can't remember what happened to me. And then I slowly remembered. I was a young boy. I was maybe, I can't remember his age. It was four, five, six, seven. I don't, he's about four or five in the photo. And I think he's seven. And he has surgery. His father had his ears pinned brought back and shortened. So he had a surgery. And he said, I remember, I remember waking up and telling my dad, dad, they put my head on backwards. He said, I had, I lost all of it. I lost all the ability to, to, to hear the way I used to hear. My life was cut off. And one of his issues was he felt this incredible break between his upper body and his lower body when he was working with me at the retreat. 
And he said, I realize now that's what happened to me. My whole proprioception, the vestibular system was disrupted. Everything was disrupted in my sense of ground, in my sense of space and field around me. So we talked about what would he do now, you know, working with the connective tissue, working with the sound. He's already playing with it, playing with his ears, going underwater, trying to bring back some of the spatial quality by opening up this scar tissue that he has endured. Another story I wanted to tell was a woman who came to work with me during a retreat as well. Um, Babette, who, who, uh, who had a lot of right left issues and she loved to sing and dance and move, but these right left confrontations and several, many people have worked with me with right left issues was really, nothing seemed to resolve that. And as I supported her, I could feel the difference between the two sides, but I could feel the vacancy of, of her left side and this incredible tension or anger on the right. And, and you know, I shared that difference and, and we worked with it, but then she told me the story. And the story was that um, her father was drug addicted and he was an addict, but he was there for her in many ways, um, in the sense that he, his, her mother basically vacated. So she was left with tending her father. She was who cared for her father. She was who brought her father to church and where she would sing and where she tried to heal her dad. And now I didn't ask her that question, it just came out of her story of me talking about these qualities of energy in her that were showing up, this difference between right and left side that seemed to hold an emotional feeling of vacancy and an emotional feeling of anger. And when that happens for me, I'm recognizing that as an animal body, you cannot, you know, emotions aren't somewhere floating somewhere. They're literally in tissue. There, there's a story there. There's a response there. And by just noticing it, paying attention to it, um, the frustration for her was actually her own anger in that she couldn't heal her father. And he didn't totally show up for her. And when he did, he was often addicted and high. And she was kind of having to attend to him. She was also angry at her mother for vacating and not being there. I'm not a therapist. I'm not going to provide support for decision-making or for resolution. I'm working somatically. I'm working kinesthetically. So what we could do is find her footing. We could get into her bones. We could support her standing on her own two feet because usually right and left tends to mean you put more weight on one side than the other. So I could play with those uh, as a way for her to land and locate, to come into her own core. And when we, when we often 
don't have room for ourselves in the family because we're caretaking others, they're not caretaking us, then we don't have a sense of our access because the family didn't hold the ability to fully blossom. I don't tell her the story, she tells me the story. I'm gonna tell two, two last ones. Um, one of it is that when a woman is pregnant and I'm supporting that, that holding that space, I'm also holding that space for the newborn or the baby within. And what happens to women through uh, mechanized birth is that we do not consider them together. So when a woman is, uh, has any kind of drugs in her system, has any kind of um, the power taken away, drugs in particular uh, make the psoas go flaccid. The psoas is what the infant, the newborn, follows down through the birth. It's how they stay in touch with their mother. So it's in the field, it's in the flesh, it's literally a relationship. And, and so when I'm giving women that support, I'm also supporting that little being. And I've had, I've had beings confront me who have been uh, given a lot of invasive kind of signals. Like what are you, they're already in defense. They're already, what are you gonna do now? And, and to feel both the mother's story and, and baby. And remember, I don't know the story. I'm not looking for the story. I'm picking up information. I relay that back. So I don't say, oh, I think this is what happened to you. I don't interpret. I simply hold space for it. And, and so we're looking at how, uh, how that gets disrupted, that deep bond and relationship. So, so one of my um, students who I was working with told me, um, I've known her a long time. She's a colleague in many ways and, and, um, and a friend. And, and we actually knew each other as friends before she started studying with me. One of, her, one of her stories was a dream, a repetitive dream. And in the dream, she's falling. And she's in kind of a blissful falling and I'm doing a spiral, she's in a spiral, she's coming through, you know, she's falling into something and then something happens and where, and she, it makes her very confused and she, in the dream, she's very confused and then she just has to choose where she's gonna land. Like she just, she knows she's falling, she's gotta fall somewhere and she has to choose where it's going to be and she falls into this, place that she doesn't feel, she feels like somebody came in before her. There's some confusion there. She doesn't know if she belongs. She doesn't feel like she belongs there. That's her dream. She said she has it over and over throughout the years of her life. And when we work together in this, um, and, and, I, and she starts to ground and land I start picking up uh, the birth story. And I said, do you know what, what your birth story is? Was your, did your, was your mother uh, sedated in any way? 
And she goes, I think she was. I said, check it out. Your mom's alive. She's in her 90s. Go talk, have a cop talk with her. She did. And I said, well, I don't want to tell your story because I don't know, but it's a dream. So I want to connect what I'm sensing and the dream, if, you, if that would be okay. And she said, yeah, what are, you, what are you picking up? I said, well, I know enough about our relationship with landing here to know that when a mother is drugged, the baby feels everything, all the pain. So even though the mother's not feeling the pain, the baby is. And the it, I'm just wondering if the if if when they gave her the epidural, whatever they gave her, uh, if that interrupted your relationship with her. And she goes, "Tell me more." And I said, "Well." I'm seeing you spiraling down to the birth canal and then something is it maybe it's laughing gas I don't know because it, the eras of different kinds of drugs I said but something may have interrupted it, and and there seems like you're now confused and when the psoas goes flaccid the baby's relationship it's so think of them as almost like a pathway in through down through the spiral and, and you're following the tracks of your mother's psoas and now all of a sudden that's gone and you're like, where am I? And where is she? What happened to her? I'm, I'm picking up this information and she's gone. And as I described the story to her and her landing and feeling confused, I said, remember the baby that's drugged is also confused. When you see the baby, they don't, they don't know where they are. They're disruptive. And uh, for her, it rang true. She was like, oh my God, that's the first time somebody's told me a physical thing that might've happened to me. And it feels really true for me. Like all of a sudden, and she stopped having the dream. Um, it hasn't come back. And it, she's worked with that idea of what happened. Why did I feel like I didn't belong in this family? That something confused me so much that I didn't, feel the welcome of, and because the mother's not there to welcome, the body isn't there to bring that connection. Um, the last one I'm gonna talk about is Henry. And, and Henry was a, was a person who, um, who came to me because he just wanted to find more creativity. He was an older man, but he, he and I tell his story and I'm gonna leave you to read his story in uh, Stalking Wild, but I'll say this piece to it. A lot of his, um, when I would work with him was that he couldn't actually stay present to like allowing his legs fall in or fall out. Like he couldn't stay in his physicality and I know he had been a professor and stuff, so he was very heady. And I just, you know, I put little sandbags on his feet. I just played in very small amount, but I kept asking him to come into his bones, into his feet and just notice his legs. And, you know, I don't work very long. I work for a very short time. This isn't a, a long event, you know, it's 10 minutes maybe. Um, Sometimes less, sometimes a little bit more, but not a lot. In fact, the more I'm good at it, the less I do. And, and he, you know, he would come in and he would land and then he would disappear. And he'd come in and he'd land, he'd disappear. And so I shared some of that with him. Like it really feels like being in your bones, being in your place is really difficult to stay. Cause it's like, you kind of know how to sense 
We all do, but what, what breaks that up? And as he unrevealed his own story, he talked about his mother um, having mental illness and how, uh, how difficult that was that, and, and during um, while she was pregnant with him, but also afterwards. And so the landing and the showing up was also a pattern of his mother's. You know, she would be there, but then she wouldn't be there. She'd show up, but then she wouldn't show up. And how that was really actually in his tissue as much as it was in hers. So whether I'm, you know, I'm working with somebody who we don't know what's going to show up, who's not really there to solve a problem. And we find out like the woman who, who I almost felt drugged and it uh, became evident. I, I said, you know, I feel like I'm being overwhelmed by some, like I'm being sedated and we find out that when she was 16 she had uh, brain seizures and they gave her medications and to me it was still in the tissue or to someone else um, looking for a solution that we really find is more um, connected to the physicality of things that happen to them uh, you know braces on the legs or um, of the inability to express yourself uh, as a child, either by being punished if any emotion or physicality showed up. All these stories are in your tissue and they're specifically in your nervous system through the fluidity of your psoas. So we're not looking for, oh, I wanna figure out what's wrong with me. That's not my intention. My intention is to say, so as is soulful. It's telling us deeply how our journey here, it tells us about what's happened to us here, but it tells us more about our vulnerability, our capacity to show up, to show up here. And so for someone else to try to fix me doesn't provide agency. It doesn't provide our ability to blossom, like the flower. You know, you can force feed a flower, you can get it to blossom, but there's something inauthentic about it. You know, it doesn't really have the same quality as when someone is, a plant is deeply rooted in the earth and knows that it's a 90 foot redwood tree or, you know, a huge ancient, becomes a huge ancient oak tree, not something in a pot. Like, how do we know if the container is so tight who we are and what we are? So for me, I'm not trying to tell you who you are. I actually wanna show up for allowing you to start that process of blossoming. So we're gonna take this into movement and we're gonna explore for about a half hour we're gonna all begin in constructive rest because I think it's a beautiful place to begin. And I'm gonna, I am going to lead you through a little bit of that to enter into the field of the sensory system. Notice if your mind takes over. This is going to be the, the training, so to speak, is that every time you find yourself thinking, musing, you know, storytelling, narrative, whatever, see if you can turn towards your, your, cause you probably already have the idea, you know the story, 
Okay, you already know certain things about yourself, you, you know, and so we already like have categorized that. So what we're looking to do is dissolve a little bit of that by going into the sensory system, into the kinesthetic sensory system, which doesn't mean you judge, it doesn't mean you analyze, it doesn't mean you, you're, you're not, you're just, you're just noticing, you're noticing one sensation after the next sensation after the next sensation. That's what you're just staying with in a position in which you can land. So you're either gonna start on the floor with your feet on the ground. You could put your feet up on a chair if that doesn't give you enough support. I would rather that you put a ball or a yoga block between your knees if your feet don't feel very grounded or a little bit of something like a weighted blanket or a little sandbag or something on your feet. So we're gonna start in constructive rest and then we're going to practice listening to where our system takes us. And we're going to not judge where it takes us, we're gonna follow. So this is about not leading, it's about following. So let's all, I'm gonna pin myself, but instead of watching me, I would encourage you to just listen to my words. At a certain point, I'm not going to lead anymore because I can't lead you. You have to lead you. You have to actually not even lead you. You have to stop leading you. So um, you're allowing yourself to be in this vulnerability that I often speak to as being um, incredibly kind of like, like holding a newborn with a the fragility and the power of a newborn. And also the wizened, very ancient ancestral connection to bone, which is something that the stories reveal themselves over and over through the ancestral blood lineage. So you're also carrying this global story of psoas, as well as our personal story of size. So let's see where it takes us. So I start in constructive rest because constructive rest is about, it's a, it's a instinctive position. The human body will go into constructive rest on its own. It doesn't have to be told. It's one of the places people find relief when they have low back pain. And um, the power of constructive rest and the value of it is that it allows your psoas to let down. So it's no longer, if you've been recruiting it, if you've been engaging it, if you've been trying to control it, if, if it's dry, if it's tight, taut, uh, constricted, Constructive rest can be a place where you can begin to sense your bones. And as you connect to gravity, 
gravity begins to support you, so as simply extraneous excitation dissolves. That means all that I'm holding that isn't in this moment, in this place and time, gets to start to flow again. It's like the frozen river is melting. And so we're only gonna stay there for a short time, but for some, it could only be a few minutes and then you feel like a need to move, so do that. For others, you might think, well, the longer I stay here, the better, I'll, I'll get this story, I'll hear this story. No, it doesn't work that way. You're listening to something much subtler. You know, it's, it's like, It's almost in, it, it's, it's definitely invisible, but it's almost this like sound that I'm not used to listening to. So you're gonna pick up all kinds of cacophony or things that you know, that's where your mind starts chattering, but it's, it's somewhere beyond that field. And one of the ways we do that is to begin to draw our awareness away from what we're thinking into the sensory system. The sensory intelligence, the kinesthetic sensory intelligence provides us with a knowing, the language of knowing. And the language of knowing is not cognitive, it's sensory based. So you'll begin to sense things. And that's when I'm gonna guide you through some of those things to just kind of support you looking and, and keep coming back to sensation. But feel free to move out of the position when you've had enough. And know when you've had enough, that's part of that listening. So both my feet are on the same texture, either on the blanket or off the blanket, but not, I want them on the same surface from heel to toes. I want them apart, the width of my hip sockets, not on the outside of my pelvis, but on the inside. So I want them lined up. And if my feet or legs want to fall out, which is the falling response, or they want to fall in, then place something between the knees, like a yoga block or a ball. Or if it's really tense to do that, put your feet up on a chair or an ottoman, something that's at a right angle. Same with the head. Just rock your head from where you can feel the contact of the floor slightly to one side and again. And notice if the throat is open, the eyes can float. If my head is back, then I might need just a little bit, like one layer of blanket to, to create neutral skull. But I don't want something big under my head because then I'm, bring, I'm closing the throat. So if the throat is closed, the psoas will be tense. We're trying to get the skeletal core neutral, meaning it's just not, it's just resting here. It's truly a rest position.
I always begin with weight. Where do I notice contact? Where have I made contact with the earth? Now I'm in a building, I'm in a house, I'm on the second floor, I'm pretty far away from the earth. But even here through the wood floor, I can begin to settle. Would it be better if I was literally on the ground? Absolutely. So if I'm really looking to ground, doing constructive rest you know, on, on the earth is, is fabulous. I'm just landing. I'm not negotiating where things should be. I'm not manipulating. I'm not trying to fix, that's all the cortex. So this is where we begin to come into the sensory system. So when I notice where I feel weight, I'm not judging that, I'm just noticing. I'm suspending judgment. I'm entering a field of knowing that's in the belly core. So you can put your hands on your belly, Bring your awareness to your belly. I sense my breath in my under my hand. the rhythm I sense movement. This is like a rock or a wave. And an ebb and a flow. There's the weight at the back of my pelvis against the blanket. Contact. Notice my left toe moving. Where now all the toes of my left My attention goes to my skull, my jaw.
rear of my, all my toes on both feet spreading. And my tongue floating in the fluid of my mouth. My awareness has gone back to the, the breath of the movement in my belly. Feel the softening under the belly that goes all the way down to the feet. We drop deeper into psoas. We don't have to look for it, it shows up. Behind the organs, one of the places you can locate it is in the hip sockets, not by pushing at the hip sockets, by resting your hands over your ball and socket here. Here there's a pulse. There's the blood. So I don't want to press on those arteries. I simply want to be present to that is. Allowing my eyes to be soft or slightly open. And learn to be present in the moment in my sensory system. And including more light and room, sounds, both in my house and outside and around my house. Birds are chirping. I'm aware of my hands resting on my toes. And how I receive that. Sense of touch. 
with the bones land. The vibration of bone is the vibration of earth. I'm slowing down. Bones are about being, so there's nothing to do here. But I might notice, you might notice, little shifts and changes. Stay with us. Stay with the sense of what is unfolding. Not what you think about it, or even what you feel about it, but the actual sensation of it. The feeling qualities come up. What is the sensation of that feeling? Stay with the physicality of the senses. Notice if a movement here, like my toe, allow it, follow, follow that movement. Is a sensation of it, possibly you change the relationship of the bones. One to the other. Conversation that moves through the entire skeletal system. returning to the belly point, the center 
around the navel, behind it. Turn towards it as if you're curious. Curious of what story, what your psoas is communicating, learning to listen. Impressions may come as images, as feelings thought forms, memories. Just let them move through you. And stay with just sensing quality of your breath, the tissues, your organs, your fluids Let the story unfold into movement. Might be micro movement. It might be a larger gesture. It might be moving out of constructive rest into a curl or arcing. Where you are, letting the whole system go into it, whatever it's showing up. Really following, you would follow the flow of a river. You're tracking with your own kinesthetic sensory system. Again, not trying to analyze or judge. If you can keep returning the attention before you move your hands up to right under your diaphragm, just above the belly, and keep it low in the belly. Your hands touch supports staying present.
as you find impulses of movement, trust them, start to go with them. Let them move you, be moved by your own tissue, your own intelligence. Let yourself be moved by your own belly fit. That's the impulse of where the movement is being generated from or emerging from or blossoming. There's no technique needed. There's no correction needed. When you're turning for this spiral into your own belly core, to the navel, to the ambient, place of knowing. Even if you're confused or you don't understand what it means, you're still tracking. What are the impulses? Can you allow them to move you? sound emerges. It's that muffling.
take a moment and pause wherever you are. Don't stop, don't return, just pause. Notice the first sensation that draws your attention. Or the movement, sensation of movement that's bubbling up. That open attention of the next impulse to make. very different from what you think. Stay with sensation, stay with the belly core, bones resting on the floor, the weight, movement of your 
breath. Pause. This time, return to constructive rest. Come back to the beginning. Landing through the bones in a simple, intuitive position. Notice how you've landed now. Is it different? This is where your cortex, your comparisons can come in. How did you land now? Is it different? You sense into your belly core, into your navel, or into the front of your hip socket. So your upper psoas under your diaphragm. There is sense, what is, what is the conversation now?
and letting your knees begin to fall to one side or the other, and your eyes begin to drift to the same side. Let the knees lead, the eyes follow. You're going to be drawn to your side. And rest here on your side for a moment. And if you want to join me, place one hand under your head and one in the back of your pelvis. And draw your hands towards each other like you're bringing yourself into a rounded letter C. And then let your hands relax. See if you, the sensation in your hands, what are you receiving from this core? Neural core. Bring your hands just a little bit together and soften the palms of your hands and receive the living being, the living process that you are. Living axis, midline, Nordic core, neural core. How it unravels into your more time. When you're ready, we're going to get up by placing our hand on the floor, rolling towards our hand and pushing down. And Take some time to write the story today. What is showing up in your core? Can you bring it to language? Can you bring it to language? Can you bring it to sound? Do a little bit of journaling, storytelling. You are holding your own story and you can take the time to let it show up now. What are the memories, the thoughts, the feelings? What's showing up right now? 